Well, this morning we're concluding our series on uh, leadership, how to lead people forward. And to do that, we're going to turn to the book of Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Reading uh, the end of that um, letter, which contains his counsel on how to live a godly life. And amongst those instructions is some words, particularly to leaders and to followers in the church, and then also how we can lead people forward. So we'll be focusing on verse 14 today. But I want to read the whole last section, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 28, uh, for context and uh, for edification as well. (laughs) So let's uh, listen to God's holy word. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, our God in heaven, we do pray, O Lord, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. O Lord, you are the God who gives wisdom. You are the God who enlightens us. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would show us yourself to be that God to us who gives wisdom and light. And so that our, we would experience that light of the dawn that comes to all those who trust in you. And that that would grow and grow more and more to the full light of day. As we consider your word together for your glory, for the good of those around us, and for our upbuilding in faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we all have or have had people in our lives that we get frustrated with. They just won't do the things they're supposed to do. They won't take responsibility for the things they're supposed to take responsibility for. We look at them, we say, they could be in a better place, but they just won't make the simple step in order to be able to make that happen. And so it gets really frustrating. Now, there's a good thing there that is a desire to lead people to a better place, to experience goodness. But there can also be a bad thing because sometimes we get frustrated, which the Bible warns about us over and over again, is we just act out of our frustration and not with real thought and care. And so what we got to do is stop and consider questions like, where do we actually want people to be? What is our vision for them? What would we like to see 
happen in their lives. And then when we do that, we can begin to pray about it. We can begin to think about it. Then we can think about how would they get there? Where are they now? How would they get there? So we see the path. Then we can tell them about it. We can share that with them and see what God may do. But once we know the the vision, we have a vision for where we want to be, we know the path that they're going to get there. Everybody is going to need help on the path. Help to be, we need to help them move forward. We need to help each other. Actually, we all need help from one another. And this passage here gives us what I would call four tools to help us as we help other people. Listen to it again in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is God teaching us how to love our neighbors well, not just in a bare way that we would tolerate them, but that we would also help them to grow and become what God has called them to be. So the first tool is going to begin with the last command, and that is to remember it's a process. Remember it's a process. Growth and getting to where we need to be is a process. When we lead by reaction, simply we see something wrong and then we respond and we we get angry, we say something, or we move away from people, then it's usually we want the change to be right now. But in almost every case of human change, it occurs over time. And so that's what Paul is telling us. He's talking about dealing with all kinds of different people, but he says, be patient with all. Be patient with all. We've got to remember it's a process. People don't change in a day. And you notice that, you know this if you reflect on it, because if you think about anything that has gotten better in your life, it was a process with you. You didn't start out knowing everything you know. You didn't start out with every skill that you have now. It was a process. There was a time when you weren't where you should be, and you've moved further along. It's a process with you. It's going to be a process with them. And remember, God himself has been also patient with us, that we've failed so many times. We've not, been, we've not made of ourselves what we should have made of ourselves. We've not become what we should have become. But the Lord has been patient with us, and he keeps confronting us, and he keeps helping us move forward. So we should do that with others as well. Now, when we remember it's a process, we need to see that patience is not passivity. Patience is not passivity. It doesn't mean that we do nothing to help people move forward as if we just stand off and just let it happen. There's times when we let people kind of work through things themselves, and we need to do that. But there's also things that we need to do. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul instructs us, speaking on the Lord, through the Lord speaking to us through him and what he says next. The second tool then is to give people steps. Give people steps. And I take this from verse 14, which says, and where it says, help the weak, or another word, it could also be translated, strengthen the weak. Strengthen the weak. So think about this. How do you strengthen the weak? So you don't take them to the weight room and take someone who's never done a squat and tell them to squat 300 pounds, right? They're not going to be able to do it. They're probably not going to be able to get that on their shoulders. They might not even be able to squat down without a weight. So what do they do? You start with what, something that's easier. You start with a step. 
First of all, you may practice doing squats without weights. Then you may just grab like five, 10-pound weights and start doing that. And then gradually you add and add. And over time, you might get to that 300-pound mark where you can actually squat 300 pounds. The point is that to strengthen the weak, you've got to give people steps. If you see where people are and where they could and should be, you can't tell them just to get to a new place. It's a process. It takes steps. It takes many steps to get to that further place. So let me give you a few examples to show you what this looks like. In my previous church, we realized one of the things we did was on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock for years, we had a fellowship meal. And you know what happened? Most of our congregation didn't go to that fellowship meal. And there was a reason for that. Because people were still getting out of work. They were still organizing things. And if we had tried to do it a little later, then it would have been time to get ready for bed and get kids to bed and so on. So it took me seven and a half years to figure out that maybe we should, if we wanted to have community and we thought that fellowship meal was a good step, that we should have that community meal at a time when most people are already there. And so I remember we had our first uh, fellowship meal on a Sunday morning after church in the park that was right next to our church. And guess what? Everybody came, including the visitors. We gave them a step to community that was doable. The Wednesday was too big of a step. And so we made a step that they could do. A friend of mine and I were talking about how do we get our kids to read the Bible. And so he came up with a a step to help them. And what he said to them was, hey, you're never going to forget to check your notifications on your phone. I'm not going to have to tell you. I'm not going to have to get up early in the morning and say, hey, make sure you check, check out what happened on Snapchat during the night. You never will have to tell a kid to do that. They will do it automatically. So what he did is he said, before you do that, read one verse of the Bible and say a prayer. He attached something that they might forget to do to something that they wouldn't forget to do. And so he gave them a step that would strengthen the weak. Think about it in a broader terms. How do we get people, for example, to love better? A lot of times, you know, we see people that do things that aren't loving, and that's where we react. We see our kids treat each other in a way we don't think is loving, and we react. But have we ever stepped back and said, hey, we want people to be more loving. That's our vision. Now, how do they get there? How do they get there? Well, there's a lot of steps. But one of those things is asking, how do I even think about other people? What are my thoughts? Do I see myself as basically able to be in community with them? Or do I basically look at them with suspicion? Or some other thing. It begins with our thoughts. And so we might begin, instead of just reacting to what people do, to say, let's have a conversation. How do you think about other people? And that would be a step to begin to help people to love more. Another way is just to get out people out there and, and interacting with other people. We saw one of these uh, this, this Christmas. We did uh, Christmas caroling. And um, 
the, the parents who were involved got their kids somewhat reluctantly to go to the nursing home to do caroling. And I have to admit, I wasn't not even 100% excited about it myself. But I said, hey, you know what? We're going to do this because it's good. And you know what happened? We ended up, I thought we'd be in there for like 10 minutes. We were in there like 45 minutes. And we went from room to room. And you could just see the people started singing. And they felt that connection. And they saw what it was to get out of themselves and love. That was a step to help them to become better lovers of people. So that's what we mean. Give people steps. If they're not doing all you want them to do, what's something they could do? That's how you strengthen the weak. The third tool is to encourage their steps. Encourage their steps. Sometimes people do, thi- do things. Um, sometimes people can do things that they think they cannot do. <laughs> In this case, we need to encourage the faint-hearted. We need to encourage them to take the steps that they can take. So how do you, how do you get people to take the steps that they actually can take? Well, one is you can encourage them with what they've already done to show them the ways they have trusted in the Lord, to show them the ways they've loved people, to show them the things they've already accomplished. Secondly, you can encourage them with similar examples and stories. Say, you know, you say, look at, you you say, here's some things that other people have accomplished without then saying, so why can't you do that? But just tell them the story to encourage them. And so they begin to see, oh, you know, maybe I can do this. Another thing is to encourage them with the promises of God. To say, to say what God has said he will help us with. An example of this uh, comes from a, a friend of mine who was considering serving as a deacon. And uh, he was so concerned that he wouldn't be able to do that, to serve as a deacon. He didn't have what it take, took. And I thought he did, and I also thought the Lord would help him grow into it. So I asked him, whenever the Lord tells someone to do a task in the Bible, what does the Lord tell them? And his answer is, it was, get at it. And I was like, sometimes, but not all, not, that's not the main thing. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And the Lord will help you do things that you didn't even think that you could do yourself. When he gives you a mission, He'll give you the resources to bring it about. And actually, the same friend had, had, a similar, had an example of this occurring in his life. He had gone to, to visit another country, and he saw there that one thing that they could use that he actually used in his work was a skid steer, that it would make a huge difference if they had one of those. But getting one over there to, to this country in Africa was a big challenge. First of all, he needed to raise like $60,000 to purchase one. Then he had to get it over there with all the, the things you have to pay to get, to get it there, then hope that it eventually gets there. Then he had to train people to do it. Well, you know what? The Lord provided. The Lord brought in the money, got, got additional donations, like the chainsaw store and said, hey, and we'll, add, we'll give them a bunch of chainsaws as well. They need that. And so he had tons of stuff in this crate. And sure enough, it arrived over there. Then he went over there, and he taught them how to do it. And I, and I, I just want to say to him, you know, see what God can do through you when you get a vision to do something for him. 
Strengthen the faint-hearted. That is the third tool. Encourage people to take the steps that they can take. The fourth tool is to challenge wrong steps. Challenge wrong steps. And that's actually the first thing he says here. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. The word used here in the original Greek, Greek is like those who are not keeping ranks. They're not going in the path that they should. They need to be warned, and they need to be called back. It may not be deliberate necessarily. It may not be spiteful, but it's irregular. It's confused. It's neglectful of duty, and it's disorderly, and it's not going to get them where they need to be. And so they need to be told to come back into line. So what do we do when people are going the wrong way? Well, we've got to have a conversation with them. We've got to talk to them. And you know, it's amazing how hard this can be. People have a lot of fear. Uh, I remember one person talking about this in the business world. And he's talking about consulting to people. And he says, they they all were talking about how this one person uh, would not do this, would not do that, would not do that. And they said, have you all, anybody ever gone and talked to him? No, we can't do that. He says, yeah, you can. You can get up from your chair. You walk down the hall. You go in there. And it takes five minutes. You can talk to him. And sure enough, they did that. And it made a difference. So a lot of times we got not let things sit here, but, but not lash out at people, but actually have a conversation with people. And just as a bigger point, we need to recognize if we're going to lead, then sometimes we're going to have to do the hard things. The things that we may not want to do that other people may not want to do. If, things are, if you're leading in a particular direction and what's, what needs to get done is not getting done and you can't delegate it, you're going to be the, have to be the one to do it. The leader is responsible for it. And then you're going to hopefully train someone to pass that on so that they can grow and you can grow. Leaders have to do the hard things. That's what he's talking about here. But there's some things that can, can help us as we warn the unruly as we call people back to take the right steps who are taking the wrong steps. And let me just give you three quick things. First, begin with curiosity, not accusation. So the first thing to do is when you see something that someone's doing that's, that doesn't seem to be what they should be doing, the first thing is to ask them about it. You say, hey, you know, I kind of think this way, but it seems like you're doing this. Can you help me understand what's going on here? And even if something's like obviously and blatantly wrong, Beginning that way can actually help the conversation. Uh, even if someone's like stealing lots of money and you say, hey, you know, here's, here's what I'm looking at. Here's the evidence. What would you think if you were in my position? Help me understand what's going on here. And even if they, even if they really know they've done wrong, the conversation will be better. That's why James says, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Begin with curiosity, not accusation. Secondly, maintain safety or gentleness and respect. The Apostle Peter says that we're to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that is in us. But he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, make it safe for people to talk and also show them that you still honor them in the way that you can because they are human beings made in the image of God. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking to Timothy, recognized over and over again that that in his zeal, he might go overboard and forget to take care of the people that he's warning. So, for example, in 2 Timothy 2, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. 
And he said, opponents must be gently instructed. And we do this not because even it might be the best means to help them, though it is a good means to help them, but he says, so God might grant them repentance. In other words, when we don't honor the people we're talking to, we shouldn't expect God to work. We need to honor God and the people we're talking to, even when we're calling someone to repentance. Then third, get them on the same side of the table through questions. And you can see that, that no one is better than this than Jesus himself. He wouldn't, he wouldn't often just say, you know, y'all are flat out wrong. He says, you need to get your head straight. He'd say, here's a, here's a guy who did this or that. Now, which one do you think did the right thing? And they'd be like, mm, I guess I got to say this guy. And they didn't like it, but they knew that, you know, he was kind of saying the right thing. And then it got them to think. So get people on the, side of the same side of the table. That's how we can challenge wrong steps. Say, we see this situation, and what do we think of it? Let's talk about it together. So those are ways that we can challenge wrong steps. So those are four tools that we see here, and I've kind of rephrased them in a way that I think has been helpful to me and hopefully helpful to you as well, that we remember it's a process, that we give people steps, help them take the steps that they can take, and then also challenge wrong steps. So let me challenge you. What is a tool that you need to use this week? You've got a vision. You know the path. What's a step that those you want to lead could take? How could you show a wise step that would help them move in the right direction? Maybe instead of thinking that they get all the way there, you could think of one little way that might move them forward. Maybe someone is ready to take that step, but they're afraid. How could you encourage them this week to take that step? Or maybe there's a difficult conversation that you need to have that you're not having. Who is that person that you need to talk to that you haven't talked to? Maybe God is calling you today to take that step. Who are you trying to demand that they change immediately? That you need to step back and remember it's a process. Those are four tools that can help us as we try to help others and love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, as I thought about this, I I thought about the book I mentioned a couple times, which I, I uh, rec- recommended to you, which is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And uh, it's a really great book um, on one person's journey from Islam to Christianity, from, from seeing that the God he was seeking was in, found in Jesus. But the interesting thing is that, that I kind of took away another big point besides just the issues that he raised and he discusses why he started thinking differently and so on. But to me, the most interesting thing was actually the, the existence of David. Not David in the Bible, but his friend David. You see, David was a believer, and David had a vision for Nabil. And, but how did he begin? He really didn't even begin necessarily by trying. He began with a friendship. They were just in the same activity in school, and he just started hanging out with them. And he made clear that he was going to be his friend, irrespective of what he decided about Christianity. He just enjoyed being his friend. So he connected with him. And, he, and it was from that friendship to the time that Nabil Qureshi accepted Christ was many years. And what Nabil Qureshi uh, ex- explains is that David was there kind of through each step. He had question after question that he kind of had to unwind in his mind. And he had, to, he had to work through, and he might take a little step closer. 
he might say, you know, the evidence isn't as bad for Christianity as I thought. And then he'd take another step. And David didn't, didn't go and say, now you must take the rest immediately. He just said, okay, cool, you've taken a step. And then he just waited, and when it, the time was right, he took that next step. And so it's a great example of how someone could lead someone through steps and being patient and remembering it's a process. I think sometimes we get tripped up because, you know, we may hear a story of someone, you know, who, who shared the gospel message with someone on the plane or some other place, and they became immediately a Christian. we just like, I got to do that. I got to get to someone all the way there. And it's like, that's not generally how it works. It didn't work that way with most of us. And even if, even if we're Christians, certain, we just certainly didn't get all that we get now through just immediately getting it. It was a process. We got a lot of things in there that we have to untangle before and after we're Christians. And so how are we going to lead people? We can give people steps. And we can also make sure, show them that we love them and care about them, even if they decide to reject us. That we're going to be, they're willing to have a friendship to them. We're open with a friendship. And in that way, because of, he, he, in humanly speaking, because he remembered it's a process, he didn't try to force him into it. He didn't try to demand that he take the steps that he couldn't take. He helped him walk through those steps. Eventually, Nabil Qureshi became a Christian. And then he helped a whole bunch of other people take those steps. And that's what can happen for us too. When we get a vision and know the path and are willing to enter into the process of helping people become what they could and should be, God will use us in the lives of others as he used David in the life of Nabil Qureshi and as he has done with countless others who helped us and whom we have helped. That's what God is doing in the world. That's what he's up to. He's helping people move from where they are to a better place. And you know what? He invites each one of you to be a part of it and to engage in the manner of leadership that he has described in his word. So thus may it be. Amen.